land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. children can run free so take my hand and walk this land with me and walk Good evening. Welcome to Yada Yada Radio. I'm here with uh, Kirk this uh, evening. We're happy to have you uh, be part of our family uh, this evening as uh, as listeners. I think we set uh, records last week for a number of uh, of listens to uh, this program. A lot of that is is because of the uh, the new website, the rewriting of the of all of these volumes, and then uh, uh, the uh, uh, new uh, opportunities that are being presented on social media and the promotion of uh, social media uh, for the uh, the whole Yada Yawa series. I did want to uh, I talk about two items in the news. One we have talked about the last couple of weeks, which is uh, Russia, the United States, and the Ukraine. Uh, the reason that this is important to me is, is uh, I want to go on record as as affirming that if there is an invasion of the Ukraine, it will be entirely the fault of the United States. And last week I explained why I have that position. And this week, uh, Putin uh, and his uh, foreign affairs uh, ministry uh, verified everything that I uh, have shared previously. They stated that uh, that the United States is... Um, uh, baiting Russia to invade by doing everything they can to uh, make it impossible for Russia not to invade, which is a pretty amazing thing. But the only reason that a country would do that is if a president is falling in his uh, popularity in the polls, uh, that midterms are are arriving, and that he knows that Americans uh, always uh, fall for uh, a... President, uh, wartime yeah. president and that mm-hmm. you galvanized support as a wartime president and so for Russia to invade uh, then uh, uh, Biden becomes what will be considered a wartime president uh, and so he's literally baiting Russia to do so uh, the first thing that uh, that uh, Putin uh, acknowledged is that the uh, 
the overthrow of the government, uh, government of the Ukraine was solely the responsibility of the United States. They had a popularly elected government that was pro-Soviet, uh, not Soviet, but Russian uh, government. And the United States went in with a minority uh, and with weapons through the CIA to undermine that government. And so the current government of the Ukraine is a puppet government put in place uh, through a coup that was led by the United States uh, CIA. Uh, and that's not a conspiracy theory. Uh, Russia actually uh, found and published the communiques from the U.S. State Department uh, to the so-called revolutionaries. Uh, second is that uh, it was a disastrous move for the United States because it uh, cost us billions upon billions of dollars because rather than Russia supplying the Ukraine uh, with, uh, with monies to cover their deficit spending, now it is the United States that uh, assumes that responsibility. And Russia could afford to do it because of the pipeline that runs through the Ukraine that the, uh, the Russians built uh, that supplies uh, uh, natural gas to Europe. And so the transit fees on that pipeline uh, pay the service, the, uh, the debt. The United States then did something that uh, I shared many years ago uh, when this first occurred. Uh, that was transparent to me and now is uh, even more transparent to anyone with their eyes open, uh, that the primary reason for uh, the United States usurping uh, the integrity of the Ukrainian elections to put in a, a puppet uh, government uh, was to create a, a reason for NATO to con continue to exist. And all that we hear now is the rattling of, uh, of NATO's swords. Uh, NATO had no function. It was a completely defunct organization with no purpose whatsoever until the United States recreated, recast Russia as the boogeyman. Uh, so uh, in so doing, now there is a reason to fund NATO. There's a reason to form alliances through NATO. And the problem of that is that most wars begin now because of these international alliances. So the United States belligerently wants NATO uh, to, uh, uh, to include uh, the Ukraine. And Russia's issue is the same that the United States was with uh, Cuba, where the United States uh, during, I guess it was 1962 in the Cuban Missile Crisis, the United States uh, would not tolerate a Russian military presence and Russian missiles in Cuba so close to uh, America's borders. And yet the Ukraine actually shares a border with the most populous reg region of Russia. And the United States is bringing all manner of weapons and missiles into the Ukraine, doing exactly what Russia uh, did in Cuba. And Russia is responding as the United States did at that time, saying this is not uh, acceptable. acceptable. The deal that no. the United States and Cuba uh, and uh, Russia uh, resolved then is the same deal that, that Putin as the diplomat is requesting now. We said to Russia, we will give you what you want, which is that we will never invade uh, Cuba. Uh, but for that, you remove the uh, Russian military presence. We're asking the United States to remove uh, U.S. military presence, uh, weapons um, from 
the Ukraine and to refrain from making Ukraine part of NATO. And for that, uh, Russia w- will pledge not to invade. Uh, it's the exact same deal. And yet we are so stupid in the United States, so ignorant, uh, so incapable of seeing the world as it actually is, so easily bamboozled that uh, we want to view it instead as uh, Russia as being the belligerent. Russia is doing everything they can to avoid being the belligerent, and the United States is doing everything it can to make Russia have to invade and give it no other option because Biden wants to be a wartime president. That's how sick these people are. Now, speaking of sick, uh, there were uh, uh, letters that crossed in the mail. You know how sometimes you send out a letter and you wish you hadn't because you you receive a letter and it makes you look like uh, a nincompoop? I don't know if you've ever done Mm -hmm. that, uh, Kirk, but I have uh, a few times. Well, these two letters that crossed in the mail uh, were one was from a, a, a very unlikely place and one was predictable. The one that was from an unlikely place was uh, from uh, the, uh, the government of Kuwait. Uh, the Kuwaitis published an official paper denouncing the fake Estenians. They said the fake Estenians are, uh, what was that uh, movie, uh, 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 something with the Fockers, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, where uh, the lead character is, is babysitting the child, and he, uh, he sometime during the, the program, he said, asshole, and the baby was, would continue to repeat, asshole. Well, the, I bring that up because... The, the, uh, by the way, there is uh, no, uh, no rule about what you can and can't say on, uh, on the Internet and, a, and, a, and blog talk radio. And even if there were, even on, on satellite-based uh, radio that was syndicated, of which I had a show for, for five years, mm-hmm. uh, uh, whole is, uh, is not one of those words that you cannot say. Uh, but uh, what the, the um, Kuwaitis essentially said is that the fake Assinians are us. Holes. And they've always been us holes. And they were that way when, uh, when things are really good for them, they treat everybody else like garbage, uh, particularly their fellow Muslims. And when things are bad, they want to blame everybody on earth and they're intolerable. Is that it's time that we come to recognize that the only reason that the uh, fake Estenians, uh need our assistance and that we find ourselves paying for them is that they don't work and then since they have nothing to do they go and terrorize israel and israel responds and uh and israel's more effective than they are Mm -hmm. and so their buildings get uh uh, pummeled uh and their economy is uh, is stifled and then they they become dependent on us if they just stopped pummeling israel they stopped acting like terrorists the Kuwaiti said they wouldn't have this problem. If they were to go to work and be responsible, they wouldn't have this problem. And since the they treat us that. like crap, why in the world are we continuing to fund the fake Assyrians? This is stupid. As a matter of fact, the article went, and the official uh, newspaper went so far as to say, you know, we've been on the wrong side here, and it's time we admit it. We need to jettison our relationship with these fake Estenians because they're nothing but trouble. They're, they're 
angry, belligerent people that can't get along with anybody, including us, and that are causing their own problems by being terrorists. And we ought to form a relationship with the only decent nation in the region, Israel. Wow. Now, keep in mind, the Kuwaitis have been the biggest financiers of these Fakistinians until fairly recently when uh, Iran figured, you know, we want to destroy Israel and wipe them off the face of the earth, so we'll send missiles and weaponry to uh, Hamas. Hmm. So that's what they said. They know them. They've been funding them for years. They share the same religion. No one knows them better. So what's the letter that crossed in the mail? Ah, Amnesty International comes out and calls Israel an apartheid state. (laughs) Say what? And Israel, of course, responds and saying, you're a bunch of anti-Semites. To which it says, how dare, how dare you call us anti-Semites? How dare you do that? No. Amnesty International is not anti-Semites. They're progressives. And as progressives, they're stupid. All progressives are stupid. You would expect a progressive to say and do something stupid because in the extreme liberal progressive mindset, evidence and reason don't matter. So if evidence and reason don't matter, you can and will say and do things that are, well, stupid. Stupid. So why doesn't Israel just say, your statements are stupid? Evidence and reason dictate exactly the opposite. And yet, uh, no, they just came out with anti-Semite. Amnesty International is an organization that uh, paralleled Greenpeace. If you recall, when Greenpeace was uh, uh, first uh, conceived, Mm -hmm. all the leaders of Greenpeace were scientists. And their principal aim was to stop Japanese whaling uh, because they said that that whales are, are as mammals, and as a depleted uh, species are being uh, hunted to extinction. And what they're doing with these harpoons, uh, with these whales, uh, is, uh, is savage, and that there's no reason to do it. That the oils that, that the world once coveted, the Europeans once coveted, uh, come to us out of the ground now. We do not need to kill a whale to get this little capsule of, uh, of oil. Uh, this is insane. Stop it. And so they put their lives at risk to do something exceedingly valuable. And they uh, essentially had the world all come together and say, we need to outlaw whaling. But then, even according to the scientists of Greenpeace, they said that the organization was completely came under the control of, uh, of a political faction that was exceedingly liberal and at that point, they had a completely liberal agenda that uh, was com- was disenfranchised from evidence and reason and was uh, just pushed for political purposes. Amnesty International is that same thing. Uh, they have done good work. The organization initially was quite useful in exposing and condemning uh, 
horrible treatment of, uh, of people in countries that most people dare not tread. But for the last decade, they have been a completely useless organization that is nothing but a political uh, spokespeople, uh, uh, spokes entity, if you will, for progressive lack of thought. All right, so that's my uh, recap of the news. Kirk, do you have anything to add, or we're going to go uh, jump back into Zachary? No, let's, 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 let's hear some sanity from you. Yeah, and, you know, on, the, on both of these issues, they are related. Uh, the world is at the brink of war, uh, and uh, the prophets tell us that the world will engage in, uh, in war, during the time of Jacob's troubles, and we are fast approaching the time of Jacob's troubles. So we are seeing how things line up and how just gross blundering by blithering idiots like we have in Washington, D.C., puts the entire world at risk of war. Two nuclear superpowers ought not be uh, in this situation. The United States just simply ought to say, what you're asking for is reasonable. and we will uh, will not do those two things. And the United States doesn't become any more vulnerable. Europe doesn't become any more vulnerable. Everybody uh, is fine and safe, and we don't start a war between uh, nuclear superpowers. It would be uh, highly, uh, highly intelligent. And, of course, once the Olympics are over, particularly if Russia is forced to invade, the Chinese will uh, invade Taiwan. That is not far off, and that will be a, a great travesty. Uh, and, of course, the, uh, to have the world, uh, particularly the media, which is run by progressives, uh, and um, this liberalization of politic worldwide rise to the forefront and become a greater threat to Israel than Christians or Muslims. So that you have the, this triune attack against Israel, uh, Muslims that want Israel destroyed, uh, Christians who believe that, uh, that uh, Jews killed their God and therefore ought to be uh, punished for it and have been trying to do so for the last 2,000 years, and now uh, progressives um, who almost universally are anti-Israel. That uh, is a a dark day, a a, a series of very dark omens for uh, the nation and its people. And there is only one hope now, a return to Yahweh. And you're going to want to return to Yahweh if you're listening to this program, particularly if you are a a Jew, uh, a Yisraelite, uh, in particular, God is returning to Yisrael. He's not returning any other place. And he is returning for Yisrael and Yahuda and for no one else. If you don't break free of Judaism, break free of, uh, of politics, whether they're uh, American or Israeli, and come to know who Yahweh is, what he is offering, and what he is asking in return, by studying his Torah and prophets, between now and then, then you're going to be on the wrong side of the divide when he returns, even if you survive to that time, because according to Yahweh, 
two out of every three Jews are going to die during the time of Jacob's troubles. So if you're listening, now would be a wonderful time to disengage from all forms of Judaism and all forms of politics. And then once you do, to come to know and um, accept, act upon what Yahweh was offering. This uh, is now the 14th chapter, fifth uh, verse where we're going to rejoin. Uh, this is where we left off okay. uh, a week ago. Uh, the reason I want to start here is it leads into the sixth statement, which is the last statement we read right. during that program. A hundred percent of Zachariah has been addressing this particular event. That is the return of Yahweh. Yahweh is returning on Yom Kippurim in year 6000 Yah, which uh, happens to be uh, sunset October 2nd, 2033. Uh, is your 6,000 uh, Yah on Yom Kippurim. That is the day he is returning. Uh, it is now 2022. Uh, uh, so we only have 11 years and a few months between now and the time that he is going to return, and much of that will be consumed by the time of Yaakov's troubles. It's going to be a hellish period for uh, Israel and Jews. And then Yahweh. Uh, it's an accurate pronunciation of the name of Eloah, God, as guided by his Torah. T-W-R-H is the spelling. Uh, instructions about his Haya existence. If you just look at those three words, all exceedingly common, you can even add shalom to it, you'll know how to pronounce every one of the four letters, two of which are repeated in Yahweh's name. They are provided by Torah, Shalom, Haya, and Eloah. Yahweh is God's name. And if you are a Hebrew, a Yisraelite, or Yaud, listening to this program, you've had it bludgeoned into you that either God's name is too sacred to, uh, to say, or that we don't know how to pronounce uh, God's name or that it is uh, inappropriate to say God's name. And the rabbis have written Talmud upon Talmud. They have uh, written uh, Mishnah upon Mishnah. They've written Zohar upon Zohar. Uh, and in all of their, their voluminous documents, never once, so they mention Yahweh's name. And the one thing that is, that is obvious and that Yahweh makes um, absolutely clear is that those who will be reconciled unto him on the day of reconciliation, Yom Kippurim, which is not a day of affliction, you don't reconcile a relationship by abasing or demeaning yourself. When you're reconciling a relationship with God, there's nothing more uplifting or beneficial that on that day, the number one thing that God says in every possible way is they will know my name. They will use my name. They will call out to me in my name. And so if you are not among those beginning to know and use Yahweh's name, you are going to be on the wrong side when he returns, and that's a really bad thing. 
because those on the back, wrong side will face one of two outcomes. They will either have their souls annihilated, ceasing to exist, or their souls will be sent to Sheol for an eternity with other religious Jews, Christians, Muslims, and progressives. And then Yahweh, my God, will return, and all of those who are set apart with him, the Kadoshim. This is Zechariah, remember Yahweh, Zechariah 14.5. By the way, you know, there's nobody that doubts that the name of the book is uh, Zechariah or Zachariah. It's actually spelled in the Hebrew. Zachar, mm-hmm. Yah. Uh, it tells you how to pronounce Yahweh's name. Yeah. I mean, the former prime minister of uh, Yisrael was Netan Yahu. Yahu. Yahu is... The, uh, the first two syllables, or three syllables, depending on how you want to pronounce it, whether or not you want the Yahuwah or Yahweh. Um, but even in that name, we see it uh, properly uh, conveyed. So Yahweh himself is returning. You know, in the pillars of Judaism, you don't see a single pillar that says Yahweh is going to return. In fact, there's no pillar that actually says Yahweh is God's name. And there is none that says that he is going to return. And yet, he, Yahweh, is going to return. The set-apart are going to return uh, with him. Set-apart, it's from uh, Kadoshim. Kadoshim is an exceedingly important concept in Hebrew. It is from uh, Kadash. It means to be set-apart, to be separated. So, those that are returning with him are those that were not part of human religious or political schemes. They were set mm-hmm. apart from the ways of man unto Yahweh. And the same thing will be true with those who greet Yahweh upon his return. They also will be set apart. Everything important to Yahweh is set apart. His home, yes. set apart. His family, set apart. His name, set apart. His Shabbat, set apart. His Moed Mikre, seven invitations to meet with him, set apart. His spirit is called the Ruach Kodesh, set-apart spirit. Everything that's important to Yahweh is set-apart. If you are not set-apart from man's ways, from that which is common, politics and religion, then you are not associated, gludes, the religious, including Judaism. Now, the marvelous aspect of this declaration, beyond the fact that Yahweh himself is returning, is that covenant members, those who were set apart unto God's family, who were harvested during uh, Teruah, will be coming with him. We think that the Teruah harvest is going to occur on the, uh, the celebration of uh, Teruah, uh, just prior to the worst of Jacob's troubles, about six months before Elia returns as one of the two final witnesses, which would be uh, in the, the first day of the seventh month uh, of uh, 2029. And they are the ones who are represented by the Kadeshim, plural of Kodesh. Kodesh, meaning to be set apart and purified, is directly related to Kadash, means to kindle a fire and provide light. 
As such, it provides yet another confirmation of Kara Leviticus 23.27, the statement which provides Yom Kippurim's most essential instruction. Uh, it was uh, translated, and your soul should respond and answer the summons to appear before and approach the maternal manifestation of the fiery light who purifies, enlightens, and elevates to approach Yahweh. So Zechariah 14.6 reads, There will be no, excuse me, there will not be on his day. There will not be lo hayas, the verb hayas, what is being negated. So there will not be on his day, baha yom hahu, a diminishing, kapaon, which means all things related to uh, dwindling or a reduction, written in the call imperfect uh, paragogic none, of the esteemed and beloved, valued and yakar, light or illumination, source of enlightenment. That's a rather profound uh, thought because Mm -hmm. uh, for Yahweh not to diminish his uh, respected, esteemed light illumination, uh, it means he is going to be infinitely more brilliant than the sun. We are going to have to be entirely different creatures, beings. To survive it, to enjoy it. I've said a number of times that uh, dimensionality is an interesting concept because every time you go up a dimension, it is an uh, infinite uh, increase in, in capability. So we are right now, we are three-dimensional constructs that are stuck in the flow of the fourth dimension time. And there are uh, at least... Uh, beyond time in the fourth dimension, there's at least a fifth and sixth dimension in the universe. We call them dark matter and dark energy. One is a uh, one causes separation, the other attraction. Um, if we, as we are, uh, were to go and be able to experience, we were to expand it to a full 4D entity from the 3D entity we are now. It would instantly obliterate us. Uh, just the, the size and scope and the input, the noise, if you will, the visuals, if you will, would be too overwhelming. The choices, you know, right now we have a, uh, we can have a decision. I can rock, uh, walk forward, backward, left, or, uh, or right. And I, for a moment or two, I can uh, uh, jump, uh, I can jump really high, probably, uh, you know, a foot and a half sometimes on a really good day. Uh, those are about our choices in terms of mobility. But once we're infinite in the fourth dimension, we can literally travel across the entire universe in a, uh, a second. It's, it's an entirely different scope of things. And, and we would be so overwhelmed as to make it exceedingly painful, even if you could survive a nanosecond in it. Uh, and I say this because if, if Yahweh comes back undiminished, 
those who are not transformed such that they're at least fully four-dimensional beings, which means you're now immortal because you're in, because uh, light uh, is uh, is a uh, a substance, if you will, a uh, an entity, uh, a, a wave, uh, both having particle and wave characteristics, where where light is uh, infinite in time. On a photon of light, uh, time simply is. All time exists simultaneously. You could enjoy the past, the present, and future simultaneously. And unless we are transformed that way, and it's a huge increase to, to get there, because as Einstein uh, proved, energy equals uh, uh, mass times the speed of light squared. So uh, uh, the, the, as a material being, we have to be multiplied by the spirit, uh, the, the square of the speed of light uh, to be as uh, we're transformed into energy. So we're going mm-hmm. to have to have that kind of increase in who we are and our capability to endure this such that it is a pleasant experience for the set apart, uh, but it will be instant incineration for those who else. Now, I think mm-hmm. you translated, uh, uh, looking at the letter, some of the words of 14.6 uh, and Zachariah. Uh, yeah, the, the thing that was interesting, though, that I did, that was more interesting than just some of the letters, they all agree. Uh, the, uh, the thing was, the key was, if you look in all the Christian versions, uh, they say things like, on that day there will be no light and no cold, no cold or frost. And I'm going, where do you get this stuff? I mean, yes. It's real simple, and then they talk about it. if it's going to be dark, it's because there was it would be a nuclear winter, volcanic ash or something could do that. Uh, and, but there's not that's not found in anywhere in this. He's simply yeah, it's, it's, it's higher it's higher that is negated. Higher is not, not exist. Yeah, right. Yeah, low higher. Uh, it's low higher. It shall not uh, exist. So yeah, uh, yes. And so there will not be. So. Yeah, there will not be as as the negation of low higher. It uh, the negation is not of light. It's yeah. the last so word can... in the uh, in the sentence, uh, not the uh, the verb. Yeah. So it just uh, that that passage just drove me nuts. I'm saying, how do you how do you possibly get there? And these, these are not complicated words or complicated sentences. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just it just freaks me out sometimes. I say, how can you be that dumb? But yeah. people still believe it. Yeah. Sorry. So uh, God is revealing that he's going to return without dialing down his enlightening presence. And when you recognize that he was the creator of a universe uh, that is so enormous, what is it, 96 billion light years uh, across, uh, that has... Uh, probably in the range of 400 billion galaxies that average uh, several hundred billion stars apiece, like our sun. Now, someone who could create that with simply words without diminishing themselves uh, is not going to come full force into our universe. So, so, well, Yahweh is going to convey part of his spiritual energy into our presence. 
it isn't all of Yahweh. He's just not dialing down that part of him that he is setting apart to be with us. Uh, all of God can only exist in seven dimensions, uh, not in, uh, in six. And we've talked about this before. It's the, mm-hmm. the concept of, uh, of Walt Disney drawing uh, Mickey Mouse. Uh, it, Walt is the creator of Mickey Mouse. But uh, even though he is the creator of Mickey Mouse and can have Mickey Mouse do whatever he wishes Mickey to do uh, and can draw whatever um, scene he wishes and can add whatever conversation he wants to that scene, uh, the fact of the matter is that Walt cannot enter the flatland cell of Mickey Mouse Mm. because it's only two dimensions. And so a three-dimensional construct like Walt cannot enter two dimensions, just like a seven-dimensional construct like Yahweh cannot enter six dimensions. That he can use, as Walt did, uh, Walt used uh, probes in the sense of, uh, of implements, uh, pencils and pens and, and paintbrushes and the like, mm-hmm. to uh, interact with that two-dimensional realm. And Yahweh has implements, too. Uh, his words are implements. His set-apart spirit is an implement. Uh, that he can use. Uh, he projected his soul uh, um, into our world. Um, and he has his malak, which are spiritual implements that he can use to interact in our world. But his single most important implement uh, to, uh, uh, to affect uh, transformation and opportunity in, in our world are his words, the very things that we are, uh, are studying. So, this is a powerful realization that, uh, that, that it's even hard to fathom the magnificence of, of what this is going to appear like. But as Yahweh says, when he's here, you don't have any need for the sun. That's how brilliant Thanks. he will be. But uh, I do know that, that, and we've shared this, that anyone that is not enveloped in Yahweh's set-apart spirit is going to be instantly incinerated, vaporized, while those of us who have accepted the terms and conditions of the covenant will be um, protected by, empowered by the set-apart spirit so that we will be able to experience this as a, a magnificent thing. Kippa'on, which is uh, the operative verb, there are two uh, verbs here, haya, uh, uh, which is the basis of Yahweh's name, uh, to exist. It was negated. And uh, Kippa'on uh, is the, uh, the second. Uh, I uh, translate it as, uh, there shall, will not be on his day a diminishing. Uh, but the word is sometimes uh, translated, make rigid, fixed, or immobile. Uh, and... Had it not been used with, uh, in conjunction with light or light, uh, then it, those translations would have been possible. But with uh, light, there is no making light fixed. There's no way to make light immobile. There's no way to make light rigid. Uh, so we then have to look at what other definitions of uh, kippa and kippa own means all things related to uh, kippa, uh, would communicate other than solidification uh, of something from a, uh, a fluid to a solid. But when 
associated with light, kipa'on, always means to diminish. Now, this is actually consistent with the solidification of a fluid into a solid state. Because uh, when, with the exception of water, everything else in uh, our universe, it, uh, as a gas, it is the most uh, expansive. And then as a, a liquid, it becomes uh, diminished in scale. And then as a solid, it is smaller still. So there is a diminishing as you go from a fluid to a solid, just as, uh, as this word, when applied to light, means a diminishment, consistent all the way through. Uh, and it is, as I say, it's consistent with uh, nature. Because anything transformed from a gas to a liquid and then to a solid state, every substance other than water diminishes in volume. And water diminishes from a gas uh, to a liquid, but it's the only, uh, uh, not element, but substance that actually increases in size when uh, solidified. And thank goodness it does. Otherwise, uh, the frozen uh, ports of the ocean would sink to the bottom. You wouldn't have ice at the, uh, at the top. Mm -hmm. Life would not be uh, possible. We'd have a frozen uh, planet because uh, liquid ice does not have the same thermal properties, uh, um, heat-absorbing properties, if you will, that water has. It's just like, for example, if you want to, um, uh, to be warm in an Arctic situation, you can actually make a warm enclosure uh, of ice because it will trap your, uh, your body right. heat uh, inside as opposed to water. You know, if you were to get wet in a cold environment, you're going to freeze to death because the uh, the water is a as uh, a conductor of that uh, of your heat. Uh, it's why you know I live here on a tropical island. Uh, today was uh, well, tonight was freezing. I mean, I That's almost cool. had to put, almost had to put on long pants, uh, shoes, and uh, and socks because from our point of view, it was shivering temperature. It dropped to 74 degrees this uh, this evening uh, here on this winter day in the middle of the Caribbean. Now, the reason why we don't go below that and the reason we can't get much above uh, the high 80s in the hottest part of the summer is that the, the, uh, the nature of all the water that surrounds us uh, just will not allow the temperature to, uh, to rise or fall any more than uh, than that amount. So we have lots of insights here that that tell us how to properly translate uh, kipa on uh, uh, that are consistent. Now you uh, mentioned the um, some of the translations. Uh, <laughs> some of them are just like the uh, English Standard Version and the uh, New International Version. Uh, mm -hmm. Render the passage. On that day, there will be no light, cold, or frost. Now, yes. Of course. <laughs> in doing that, uh, they ignore the fact that uh, the negation was of the verb, the first of the two verbs, haya, uh, not light. And uh, kipa'on is a verb and therefore is not uh, cold or frost, which are both uh, nouns. The New American Standard Bible, which claims to be literal, 
was no closer to the mark with. And it shall come about in that day uh, that there will be. Now, I don't know how they even got there. Because, again, they come about uh, with a very poor translation of it will not exist. It will not come to pass. Haya. It was Haya that was negated. <laughs> so it was not light. But anyway, it's come to, to pass uh, about in that day that there will be no light. And uh, it's possible to say no light. There's, in fact, there's a whole host of Hebrew words that are, uh, are lightless, that uh, speak of, of utter darkness, uh, but none of them were used. Then it says the luminaries will dwindle, but there's no mention here of a luminary. Uh, there's also a number of Hebrew words to convey the luminaries. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how they got uh, dwindled. But the uh, KJV, and I always, every time I read KJV, I'm, I'm just incensed. I'm incensed because what in the hell does King James have to do with Israel, with uh, Hebrew, with the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms? What is this occultist nincompoop doing with his name on uh, a uh, the most popular Christian sort of pretend translation of their babble? Uh, it, it's just astonishing to me that you would name a translation the King James. But nonetheless, they, uh, they do. Stupid is as stupid does. Uh, they try... And it shall come to pass, as opposed to it shall not come to pass in that day, that the light shall not be clear nor dark. Let's go back to the words again. Uh, the words are lo haya. There will not be. Mm-hmm. Baha yom hahu. On his day, or you could say on this specific day. Either yeah, one is acceptable. Yeah. Q is actually mm-hmm. he, but it's used uh, uh, to say on this very specific day. Ba, in, ha, the, yom, day, of his literal translation. So, lo haya, there will not be in the day of his a kipaon, diminishing, a reduction of the, and this is yakar. Zakar isn't cold, it isn't frost, it isn't luminary. It means esteemed and beloved, valued and respected, splendorous and beautiful, worthy, influential, magnificent. Mm -hmm. Certainly. And or means light, that's all or means light it's frustrating that the creator of the universe shared his testimony with us on how we can come to know him on what he is offering and what he expects in return in particular an open letter to his people and yet the religious have seen fit to change it however they see fit. Uh, Don't care. And then they will call the resulting babble the inerrant word of God. 
when it isn't even remotely accurate. Oh, and then, of course, they'll combine it with a, uh, the New Testament that is uh, almost oh, universally poisonous. Yeah, there are uh, tiny little glimmers here and there that have uh, interesting credibility, but they are few and yeah. far between. Now, keep in mind that as, uh, as, as organized energy, um, that's what... Uh, um, light in a diminished state, if you will. Matter is simply organized energy. It's light in a mm-hmm. diminished state. Uh, this is why matter has to be multiplied by the square of the speed of light to determine uh, its uh, quotient of energy. So anytime Yawa takes on a material presence, uh, he has to set apart an aspect of himself, diminish that uh, aspect. But this time, during his seventh and final uh, visit to uh, our planet, uh, God is going to be more light energy than matter, and perhaps all energy, and thus spirit. I, I think Yahweh is going to be beautiful. I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not going to be a corporeal presentation. Uh, but to those of us who are also non-corporeal, and we are also spiritual beings, the set apart at that time, we're going to see him uh, as he really is. Now, revealing the timing of his return, Yahweh inspired Zachariah to write something which uh, unlocked the mystery of no one knows. And this mystery of no one knows uh, is, uh, of course, most prevalent among uh, Christian evangelicals that are fixated on their eschatology and the return of their Jesus Christ. Uh, and they get that from a horrid translation of a translation of a translation um, in the uh, Olivet Discourse and the book of Matthew uh, pertaining to uh, where it says no one knows the, uh, the day or the time, yeah. not, not even uh, the sun. So, unable to know that, that, that uh, to the degree that is even accurate, that that was even said, that it was a quotation of this, uh, this next line that Yahweh is, uh, is going to share with us, uh, they are clueless and say, you know, anytime you uh, predict when he is going to return, and it's not... Uh, I'm not, by the way, predicting the return of Jesus Christ because he's not coming back, and there was no Jesus Christ to begin with. Uh, uh, The Passover lamb never returns. Uh, It is Yahweh, and I can tell you exactly when he's coming back. I can tell you to the minute when he's coming back because he told us. This reads. Oh, and I was going to say that there's also a problem in rabbinic Judaism with this too because uh, uh, rabbis corrupted what was a teruah. Uh, teruah is the living embodiment of what we're doing here, which is that we become Yahweh's troubadours. We, as his witnesses, expose what he has said to his people. We warn them that their religion is deadly, it's uh, deceitful, it's damning, uh, as is uh, their politics, and that 
Yahweh is calling them home before it's too late. That is our job. We are the living embodiment of Teruah. But in Judaism, there is no celebration of Teruah anymore. The rabbis don't give a crap what Yahweh had to say. And by the way, I, you know, sometimes I use uh, saltier terms. Yahweh uses them all mm-hmm. the time. They bother you. You're not going to like Yahweh very much. Uh, he's uh, very graphic in his uh, depiction of uh, the religious. <clears throat> and so uh, rabbis don't like the idea of teruah, which is to expose and condemn religion while exposing and, uh, and uh, speaking the merits of Yahweh's covenant and his mikra so that we know what God is offering and expects in return, what he is inviting us home to experience. Uh, so that's the last thing they want to celebrate. So they simply replaced it. And they replaced it with uh, Rosh Hashanah, which means head of the year. Uh, well, Yahweh's year starts uh, in the first uh, renewal of the moon's light uh, at the time that barley is just beginning to bud. Uh, and that takes place in, uh, um, within two weeks, one way or the other, of the spring equinox. But the Babylonian New Year began uh, in uh, the seventh month, in uh, uh, what we would call September or October. And so the Jews that left Babylon physically never left Babylon emotionally, uh, spiritually, uh, or any other way. That's why the most important book in Judaism is the Babylonian Talmud. And so they brought all the bad, corrupting influences of Babylon with them, and they celebrate Yom Kippurim, excuse me, they celebrate Teruah, now as Rosh Hashanah, um, replacing Yahweh's uh, fifth Moed Mikre with a Babylonian holiday. And on this holiday, uh, According to Judaism, it is the day of, uh, of whispers where you're not supposed to uh, awaken Satan uh, because if uh, you don't awaken Satan, this is the one day that Satan is supposed to expose the malfeasance of Jews. And so if he sleeps on the job during this day, and I didn't know that spiritual being, being slept, spiritual but being <laughs> yeah, uh, or that uh, if you speak uh, softly that Satan can't hear you, kind of like uh, COVID, you wear the mask when you're sitting down at the rest or standing up at the restaurant, but you don't need it sitting down because COVID only spreads, of course, when you're, you're standing. Uh, <laughs> Satan evidently uh, can't hear whispers. Uh, and so you whisper on this day so not to awaken Satan because if you don't awaken Satan, he can't blame Jews, and you got another year to be a uh, uh, to be deceitful and damning and crappy and, and uh, disgusting uh, is the the myth. So it's the uh, it's the one day that uh, that they say uh, Satan does not know that no one knows. It's a hidden day to uh, hide from uh, Satan. So they also have their their myth specifically about this. Uh, God's not buying into it. He says in the following. This is Zechariah 14 in part. It shall be. This is now Haya, not negated. It will be. It will exist as. Ichad, the one, only, exclusive, unique, certain, explicit. Yom, day. 
which Hugh, more typically rendered he, is known. Yada is revealed and shown, understood and acknowledged, distinguished and discerned. To approach, according to law, Yahweh. That answers and tells you which day. It will be the one day which is known, is revealed and shown, understood and acknowledged to approach Yahweh. Every Jew on the planet would know what that day is if the rabbis hadn't corrupted <clears throat> Yom Kippurim. If they had simply told the truth about Yom Kippurim, every Jew on the planet would know. But rather than Yom Kippurim being the day of Kippur, reconciliation, plural, Kippurim, day of reconciliations, no, in, in, uh, in Judaism, it's a day of affliction. It's a day to deprive oneself. Well, they're going to get their wish because they're going to deprive themselves of knowing Yahweh. When you... When we began this program, I said one of the things that is ubiquitous in everything Yahweh says about his return is that those that remnant who survives that greets him will call mm-hmm. out to him by name. They will acknowledge him by name. And, and so the one day that they who survive will all acknowledge and know Yahweh, the one day you can approach Yahweh as in the sense of being reconciled in your relationship with him is Yom Kippurim. So he just told you that one day that he's returning, it shall be the day that is known to approach Yahweh. Yom Kippurim. Simple, straightforward, irrefutable, obvious. Yada is translated known. It tells us that Yahweh is revealing this to us so that we realize and acknowledge it, even understand it. This Mm -hmm. is the day of Yahweh's return. Something that should be acknowledged and known by everyone. And yet there's not but one in a million people that understand it. By using the phrase, it shall be the one, a certain unique day, Ichad, which he becomes Yada, known, we have yet another affirmation that Yahweh's return is tied to the day when Yisrael's and Yahudah's relationship with God is reconciled when he becomes known to the remnant of his people. Now, how do we know that this is the day that Yisrael and Yahudah are reconciled? You know, why couldn't it be the Goyim church? Why couldn't it be the Thakistinians? They claim the land for themselves, right? Yeah, why couldn't it be the Muslims? committing a jihad for Allah. Well, let's forget about the Muslims. They're, uh, they're um, uh, too enamored with, uh, with Allah, and Allah is not Yahweh. 
going on to the uh, the uh, the Christians, they have a problem too, and that um, their um, their God is Jesus Christ, not Yahweh, and they're expecting Jesus Christ to return, not Yahweh to uh, to return. Mm-hmm. But more than all of that, to understand anything in the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms, one has to be in. The Hebrew word for understand means you make connections between things to understand them, and there is a, a statement uh, in the prophet uh, Yirmiyah, Yirmiyah 31, that explains all this. And it, it says that, that, that Yahweh will be restoring and renewing his covenant relationship. And he is doing so with Yisrael and Yahuda. Well, that's the answer. Case closed. I'm... He says, I'm going to be restoring my covenant relationship, reaffirming it, renewing it, and I'm going to be renewing it and restoring it with Yisrael and Yehuda. Not anybody else. No fake Indians, no Christians, no Goyim, with Yisrael and Yehuda. That doesn't exclude, necessarily, Goyim from being part of the covenant. They can be part of the covenant. But the Day of Reconciliations is exclusively uh, positioned towards Yahweh doing as he has promised, particularly to Abraham, Yishak, and Jacob, which is to restore his relationship with Yisrael, their descendants, and particularly with uh, Yahud and Yahudem, Jews. So that's the answer. Uh, and oh, by the way, uh, Yahweh says it's uh, my covenant is not going to be exactly the same as the one that that uh, I um, enjoyed and affirmed yeah. and uh, existed with Abraham. Not going to be the same. Not going to be exactly the same. Oh wow, that might must be a new uh, covenant. No, it doesn't. God explains what's uh, precisely how it's going to differ, and that is that. Well, God gave his Torah and shared his Torah with Abraham. He's explicit with that. Uh, Abraham had the opportunity to accept it or reject it. And every one of us since that time in, uh, in 2000 BCE, 1968 BCE to be exact, every single one of us has had exactly that same opportunity. We could... Accept the Torah, reject the Torah. And the Torah is not that God-forsaken book written in Babylon. It is the written Torah that was handed to Moshe on uh, Mount Choreb uh, at the conclusion of the, uh, the Exodus. Uh, well, the conclusion of the Exodus from Mitzrayim, anyway. And, and so... It is essential to recognize that the one difference will be that while from that time, even the time of Abraham when the Torah was explained and shared with Abraham, uh, to the time that it was put in writing for us through Moshe, we've all been in a position where we can accept or reject the Torah. We can even do something stupid like replace it with a New Testament or a Talmud or a Quran, even dumber still. And if we wish to incorporate it into our lives, that is our business, and we do so by observing it and accepting it. 
But upon his return, Yahweh is going to do something different vis-a-vis the covenant, which is he's going to write a copy of his Torah inside of us, integrating it into our lives. Which, by the way, is a really, really good thing, because we are now going to be seven-dimensional constructs. And with all of that, we're going to need some guidance as to how to get the most out of uh, this uh, infinite expansion in our capabilities. Uh, so he's going to write it into us. That is the difference between uh, uh, now and then. Mm-hmm. And you might say, well, why doesn't why didn't Yahweh just do that uh, at the beginning? Just write a copy of his Torah inside negate of us. Free will. Well, yeah, negate free will. Then at that point, you can't you deny can't it. You can choose. Right. Yeah. At that point, you've got no choice. And so then they say, okay, then how can he write it inside of us uh, then without uh, usurping free will? Well, by then, the only ones that are going to to accept Yahweh, receive Yahweh, declare Yahweh's name, embrace Yahweh, are those who have made that choice. We've made the choice to be part of Yahweh's family. So now all we want is the guidance that his Torah will provide. It's not about rejecting it. Yeah, or... making a decision is what we're going to do with the covenant or the Mikre invitations. We've made our decision. Uh, we're delighted with it. And now we're seeing. I don't think anybody's going to argue that at that delight. point. <laughs> Nobody's yeah. going to say, no, no, I'll pass. <laughs> I'll pass. Yeah. Okay. This, I, I really appreciate being, uh, being taken ah, to the yeah, seventh dimension. Nice. This is really good. I, I can go off and explore the universe, but uh, this relationship thing and, and your guidance, I don't want anymore. Yeah. Mm. You're, I, I don't have the words to properly explain, because frankly, no one can can fathom how great a leap of ex, uh, ex, uh, it's going to be to go from being a three-dimensional being to a seven-dimensional being, from going from being a physical being to a spiritual energy-based being. But I can tell you that that each step along the way to go from three to four is an infinite increase to go it just imagine now mick mouse again uh and uh, by the way they took uh minnie mouse and they dressed her up like uh, hillary clinton and uh, a business suit she no longer wears wears a uh, dress like really? that was some progressive uh struck gold with that one uh, uh, but but in flatland they cannot fathom what uh, depth would be like? How it'd be an infinite increase to uh, to have the world go for, not just from right to left in flatland, but up and down. That's an infinite increase. And so, for us to go, for them to go from two to three is an infinite increase, just like from us to go from three to four. And it's infinite again from four to five, and it's an infinite increase again from that to five to six. And it's an infinite increase again to go to Yahweh's realm, uh, which is seven dimensions. So it's infinity times four. Um, you know, it's, a, it's a concept that's way beyond our capacity, particularly since the 3D world that we understand is uh, 96 billion light years across. We're definitely going to want the Torah mm-hmm. inside of us, yeah, with guidance, 
and to be wretched it up. To be able yes. to, yes, to, be able to enjoy it. all of that yeah. as opposed to it being uh, totally and completely uh, overwhelming. So all of this known, there are seven special days on Yahweh's annual calendar. So in a general sense, so we, it can be assumed that he is telling us that his return will coincide with one of these unique days. But since the first four Mikray were all fulfilled in order in 33 CE, which was year 4000 Yah, Pesach, mm-hmm. Yahweh, uh, served as the Passover lamb, Matzah. He sent his uh, soul into Sheol uh, to, uh, to ransom us so that we could just, uh, be, justly be resolved of, of, of our death, our, our uh, iniquity. He uh, then uh, um, was released from uh, Sheol and uh, exposed what it will be like to be a spiritual-based being reborn uh, spiritually on Bakurim, uh, where he was able to uh, transport himself uh, from one place to another in the blink of an eye that was uh, uh, one was dimensions apart, the other one was 770 stadia apart. And he then, uh, that was Pesach, Matz, and Bakurim, and then he fulfilled Shabua, enriching and empowering his covenant family so that they would be more effective troubadours come uh, trumpet. So the first four of Yahweh's Moed Mikre were fulfilled on time in year 4000 Yah. So it's not one of those four. That leaves us with three. Nope. The first unfulfilled uh, Mikra is uh, Yom uh, Teruah. Uh, it's uh, one of uh, three harvests. Uh, it is specifically to harvest the set apart, the Kadoshim, that are coming back with Yahweh. And Yahweh's return is after they've been harvested, otherwise they couldn't be returning with him. So it is not Teruah. And since the pattern has been to fulfill the Moed Mikre in chronological order, there is but one day on God's annual calendar, calendar which meets Zachariah's 14.7 criterion and is consistent with his pattern. The one day that Yisrael and Yahudah will be able to approach Yahweh because they come to know Yahweh, Yom Kippurim. Further, of the remaining unfulfilled prophecies, uh, Sukkah shelters is symbolic of the millennial Shabbat, of us returning to the conditions experienced during Eden and camping out with Yahweh. It is uh, not just a day, but instead an eight-day celebration that will be celebrated over 1,000 years, between 6,000 and 7,000 Yah. Therefore, it's Yom Kippur, which is, by the way, one of only two days that actually has a Yom in the title. Yom Teruah, mm-hmm. Yom Kippur. It shall be the one Yom he becomes known to approach Yahweh. But what year is the question? Well, everything in the Torah, Prophets, uh, and Psalms points to a pattern of six, mankind, created on the sixth day, a carbon-based life form, which has the atomic number of six, plus one, God who is one, he is also Ichad, equals seven, 
which from God's eye, uh, perspective is that man plus God, six plus one, equals his desired results. We are even told that a day is like a thousand years to Yahweh, so it's all laid out for us uh, throughout his witness. Between the genealogies revealed in the Torah, history, and archaeology, we know that Adam and Chawa were escorted out of the garden in 3968 BCE. Yahweh met with Noah to discuss the impending deluge that would flood the region of the world in which men with a Nasalma existed in 2968 BCE. This date is affirmed by the discovery of the Burkle Meteor Crater in the Indian Ocean off the coast of Madagascar, where the resulting tsunami of a welling up of deep seawater uh, rushed up the Tigris and Euphrates rivers and instantly turned the Black Sea from freshwater into salt, raising the water level 500 feet and then flooding the area of, uh, of Eden and the area where the first human civilizations had formed, uh, rushing out and forming the Bosphorus Straits. Uh, that occurred at this time. And even the, the description of the flood actually says that it will be precipitated by an upwelling of deep seawater. The covenant then was confirmed with Abraham and Yishak, on Mount Moriah, means to revere Yah, Moriah, in 1968 BCE. That was 40 Yobel after Adam left Eden. In 968 BCE, the cornerstone of Yahweh's temple on Mount Moriah was laid. Then exactly 40 Yobel after Abraham's prophetic dress rehearsal for Pesach with the Passover lamb, Yahweh fulfilled the Bikra of Passover, unyeasted bread, and firstborn children in 33 CE, exactly 40 Yobel. That same Yobel year, the fourth Moed Mikre of seven Shabbats was fulfilled on the appropriate day, further establishing this pattern. There is even some evidence that the waters under the temple were poisoned in 1033, reflecting the Bab Midbar Numbers 5 divorce decree, where it says uh, the test for divorce is whether the waters are poisonous, and they were at that time. Now, out of the ashes of the Holocaust, Yisrael was reborn. Just as Yahweh had foretold, his people returned to the land, and the next Yobel year just so happens to be 40 Yobel, exactly 2,000 years. 40 times 50 Yobel is, is mm-hmm. 50 seven, years. seven plus one, 50 years. Mm-hmm. 40 times 50 is 2,000, exactly 2,000 years from 33 CE when the first four Moed Mikre were formed is ding, 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 2033. Yeah. It's so straightforward and easy, so obvious. Where in the world are the rabbis? Why can't they figure any of this out? I guess because they don't want to. The worst thing that could happen to a rabbi is the worst thing that could happen to a Christian. 
Yeah, well, to tell you the truth. Yeah, yeah we'll return. Yeah, of course. And you are in serious trouble. <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, so let's not talk about that. Now, 40 and... No, 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 Yeah, 40 <laughs> depicts throughout the Torah and Prophets a, uh, a time of testing. It's the completion of a time of testing. You know, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. The Israelites wandered in the the wilderness wilderness. for for 40 years. It's repeated throughout the the Torah and Prophet. They were in slaves uh, in uh, in Egypt for 400 years. Yeah. 40 is is just ubiquitously presented as the time of, uh, of testing. And the Obel is uh, is essential because uh, Kata Leviticus, uh, right after presenting the Moed Mikre, the uh, the seven uh, invitations to meet with Yahweh, explains the purpose and the nature of the Yobel. And the Yobel is a is the year seven times seven plus one, when all debts are forgiven. Hmm. That's an important concept. When all people are freed, oh, there's another important concept. Oh, even the, yeah, the, the Hebrew word for salvation, yatsa, the primary meaning is actually to free. You said free. To liberate. Yeah. Yeah, to liberate. All people are freed. All debts are forgiven. All people are freed. And the land returns to, uh, to Yahweh to be redistributed to his people. Why does so much of this not? I'm sorry. Why does so much of this not resonate with people? When you, I mean, I've told this to multiple people and read it, this and, and know it fairly well off the top of my head, and it just like, uh, what what is it? You how much information? How much knowledge do you have to have? And and the other stuff that you were covering before, that's scientific. I mean, the the flood yeah. and all. Yeah, I mean, and I want to be careful here because while the calendar is is really easy to uh, uh, to explain, and so that you understand when Yahweh fulfilled each of His promises, when He's going to fulfill His promises, when He's going to return, and Mm -hmm. it's straightforward. the The science of the creation accounts were six twenty four hour days, and uh, fourteen billion years are the exact same length of time. Uh, relative mm-hmm. to the observer, and Yahweh tells the creation story from the point of creation, yes, where we know now that uh, from the micro, the background radiation uh, at the Big Bang, that time was stretched to 10 to the 12th power, which means when you do the math and divide 14 billion years by 10 to the 12th power, you get six 24-hour days. Yom. The science yeah. of all of this, the deep upwelling of seawater, which is what uh, Yahweh said precipitated the flood, uh, and now we find the Burkle impact crater causing exactly that at that time and in this place. All of these assurances are only helpful and that they prove to any open-minded and rational person that God himself inspired the Torah and prophets whose words we are studying. But they are not the message of the Torah and prophets. They are the affirmation, as were countless prophecies, where God predicted well in advance of its occurrence what he was going to do. Like, for example, I'm returning on Yom Kippurim in your 6,000. Yeah, he made it very clear as to what he was going to do, and he made it very clear 
by the way, is what's going to happen between now and then, all of which we are witnessing materialize right before our eyes. Uh, all of that exists to prove that we can trust what he revealed in the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms. But that's not the message of the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms. No. The message of the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms is the covenant. And that God created this universe and conceived life because he wants to enjoy a family relationship with us. He wants to adopt us into his family. He wants to make us immortal so we can spend eternity with him. He wants to perfect us so we can enter his company. Then make us part of his, his family, adopting us into his family. And then on Shabuah to enrich and empower us and enlighten us so that we can speak on his behalf on Teruah, and ultimately then he can reconcile his relationship with his people, Yisrael and Yehudah, on Yom Kippurim. And then collectively, we return to the conditions experienced in Eden. That entire story is told to us so that we might know not where we have been, but where we are going. And that is the conditions experienced in Eden, which we're going to celebrate for a thousand years. That's the message. And you noticed how I went from the covenant to the Mikre, because it is the Mikre which provide the benefits of the covenant. And it is through the Mikre that we are able to meet the conditions of the covenant. The covenant has five conditions that we walk away from religion and politics, we disassociate from Babylonian influences, that we walk to God and allow him to perfect us, which happens on matzah. And it's such a shame, uh, not that it happens on matzah, it's such a shame that Judaism has so corrupted matzah. Jews no longer celebrate matzah. Matzah is just a missing ingredient in Pesach. The, The day most responsible for removing the stigma and stain and stench of religion. Matzah is no longer celebrated in Judaism, precluding Jews of the opportunity to be perfected by uh, Yahweh. Not celebrated by Christians either, but that's another story. Yes, but it is by these, that the conditions of the covenant where we come to trust and rely on, on Yahweh, which you only can do when you come to know him uh, and understand him. This is the day that Yahweh is Yada known, uh, how that becomes the third condition to the covenant. The fourth is for us to closely examine and carefully consider the terms and conditions of the covenant so that we know precisely what God is offering and expecting in return. If you're religious, you would hate heaven. There's not going to be any religion there. There'll be no prayers there. There's going to be no Talmud there, no New Testament, nobody uh, who is bowing down, everything. There'll be no uh, celebration of Hanukkah or Purim or, or uh, Rosh Hashanah Christmas. or Christmas or Easter or God forsaken Ramadan. There'll be none of that. If you're religious, you'd hate the place. You'll not know anybody there. You'll not speak the language. Everything that you've cherished will, will not exist. In fact, it would be condemned. And so it's important to know what God's offering. 
I happen to love what he's offering. I, I'm looking forward to be in a world without religion, without politics, without militaries, without conspiracies, where we get to camp out with Yahweh and explore the universe with him. That's the conditions that existed in Eden. And of course, then the fifth condition of the covenant is to circumcise our sons as parents on the eighth day so that we remember to raise them to be part of Yahweh's family. That is our single biggest responsibility as parents. And that way we understand Yahweh's role as our father and the set-apart spirit's role as our mother so that we understand exactly what God is attempting to achieve with his family in the covenant. These things are made possible because of the seven Moed Mikre, which are invitations for us to meet with God, uh, most of which are inverted or completely destroyed in, uh, in Judaism, and of course not even acknowledged in Christianity. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's so essential that, that Jews recognize that they're not honoring Yahweh. You know, on Passover... They celebrate it as the freedom from, uh, from Egypt. And it's actually liberation from Mitzrayim, and Mitzrayim is the crucibles of religious and political oppression. And that is not the purpose of Passover. God explains the purpose of Passover. It's about life. Pesach is the doorway to life. The lamb dies so that you can live. And if you're not celebrating Passover as the doorway to life and understand the role of the Passover lamb, you're not benefiting from it. And what is the Passover Seder? It's, it's a medley of vegetables and an unedible bone put in the, in, in somewhere on the plate. Mm-hmm. Well, what did Cain offer? A medley of vegetables. Mm-hmm. So it's the Seder, the rabbinical style is, is Cain's rejected offering. And as I mentioned, Matzah, which is by far the most important day, that's why the, those three days, Pesach, Matzah, and Bakorim, are known as Chag Matzah. Matzah is the essential celebration. It's, it's the one that, it, that is of the utmost importance because it is where we are perfected Printing. so that we can enter yes. God's presence. It's no longer even acknowledged or celebrated by Jews. It is simply a negated ingredient in their diet. Nothing more. In Judaism, Bukhudam is not even mentioned, which is where we are uh, born into Yahweh's family, his covenant. Shabuah is uh, no longer celebrated by uh, religious Jews either, not part of their calendar. They got a whole lot of holy days, but it isn't one of them. I suppose that they don't like its association with the Christian Pentecost, which is just because the Christians corrupted it doesn't mean that they should ignore it. And then, of course, on Teruah, there is no acknowledgement whatsoever of Teruah. It is celebrated uh, culturally and religiously by Jews as Rosh Hashanah, which is a Babylonian corruption. Then you get to this day, Yom Kippurim, and it is the, uh, the day of affliction, the day of atonement, the day of denying oneself, the day of fasting. From Yahweh's point of view, it's the happiest day in the history of the universe. The day his relationship with his children is... Yeah, what he wanted. Yeah. Yes. Includes what he wanted. And if that isn't a celebration to you, 
Uh, then you ain't gonna like Yahweh. Yeah, you're not gonna like Yahweh, and you're not gonna be part of His family. And Sukkah, of course, is when we return to the conditions of Eden and get to camp out with our heavenly Father. This is His timeline. It is all presented there for us to know. So, therefore, we can deduce that the one unique, exclusive, certain day which Yahweh would become known is Yom Kippurim. 2033. Now, Mizmor Psalm 102. It's actually pertinent to this discussion because it speaks prophetically of the Holocaust. The Holocaust occurred between 1932 and 1945. Yes, it was predicted uh, explicitly, uh, prophetically, to the detail. And Psalm 102. And it states that the generation which experiences it will not be the last. Or excuse me, will be the last. The generation which experiences the Holocaust will be the last. Holocaust 1932 to 1945. So to determine how long after the Holocaust Yahweh's return could be and still be witnessed by that same generation, Mm -hmm. it's helpful to know that the average life expectancy among Jews who survived the Holocaust was 85 years. With their direct descendants, the children of the Holocaust survivors, their life expectancy is now 88 years on average. And the maximum life uh, expectancy, and thus the far extremity of the prophecy of a Jewish person living today, is right around 105 to 107 years. Uh, And uh, Philadelphia, Herbert Brown, uh, lived to a uh, ripe old age of 105. He was a Jewish Dachau concentration camp survivor. And his 100-year-old wife, uh, Magda, were the oldest living married couple in 2005. In October of 2007, a, uh, a Jewish uh, uh, caricaturist, uh, caricaturist. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, doing caricatures, Boris uh, Evamon celebrated his 107th birthday in a Moscow synagogue. Therefore, we should expect Yahweh's return to be 88 years after 1945, which is 2033, but absolutely no later than 2050. But we have a bingo with, uh, or as Yahweh would say, we have a Yatzah. With uh, Yatza uh-huh. is the Hebrew word for Exodus. We have a Yatza for uh, uh, to be withdrawn is what uh, Yatza means uh, for 2033, and that it is a Yobel year, and it is precisely the uh, the length of the average generation from the end of the Holocaust at 1945. So, well, God not only knows the day He's going to return, He made it possible for us to discern this date from His Word converted to our pagan Georgian calendar, our Gregorian calendar, I should say. His arrival will occur at sunset in Jerusalem on October 2nd in 2033. And in a moment, yeah, we'll reveal the exact time as we uh, proceed uh, through his testimony, right down to the minute. Now, we are still recording, but our program is no longer sure. broadcasting. And so 
uh, we'll uh, we'll truncate it here uh, uh, now. Okay. Maybe uh, read a, a thought stuff. or two more, but uh, share a thought or two more. But we um, um, are at a point where where I'm going to do something, Kirk, uh, and I think you know this mm-hmm. from uh, having read the the chapter that we're covering. And we're uh, covering yes. a, the final, I guess, second to last Kapoorum chapter in uh, yes, the, what is now volume six of uh, the Yada Yawa series. The uh, Yada Yawa series, for those who are listening, is presented in its entirety, uh, at least the rewritten and revised, re, re, uh, recently retranslated volumes are all pre, uh, presented at yadaya.com, Y-A-D-A, which means to know. Uh, Yah, which is the shortened form of Yahweh's name. It's also yadayahua.com. You can, you could, uh, enter the site way, I think. those two. Yeah. But every uh, book that we have rewritten, um, I think there's now 22 of them, are uh, presented in their entirety. Beautifully, you can read it on your computer. You can read them on your cell phone. You can read them on a tablet. Uh, they're there in their entirety for free. Uh, you can also go either from the site or directly to Amazon. The Kindle versions of these books are, are under a buck for a, uh, a six, seven hundred page book. Uh, and the printed version and softbacks uh, average about uh, 12 to 13 dollars a piece, which is just the printing cost. There's, they are royalty free. And uh, the hardbacks are uh, a few dollars uh, more per, uh, per copy. I actually like this. The paperbacks are just uh, the six by nine size, and the the flexible covers is uh, are just easier to uh, to read. Uh, but they're all there. Uh, you can go to yada yada, open them, and and read them uh, to your heart's content. Uh, and the way that the message is presented, uh, every translation, um, the. Uh, they're all amplified, and they're all explained, just as we've shared with you the, the Hebrew terms that underlie the words that we have used to translate God's uh, message into the language spoken by more Jews than any other and more people worldwide than any other English, um, is, uh, is all presented for you to verify it, um, explore yourself, learn the, uh, the language, um, and to even be able to approach Yahweh based upon what you uh, what you learn, and so all of that is available to you. We encourage you to uh, to read it. We are sharing, as I say now, out of uh, book uh, volume six of the Yada Yah series. It's uh, it's called mm-hmm. Appointments uh, from uh, Moed, and. It is the third of a series of volumes just on Yahweh's seven invitations to meet, just as there are also three volumes of Yada Yah devoted entirely to the Bereth Covenant. Uh, there's a volume devoted uh, to the creation account in the beginning. There's a volume uh, devoted to life in Eden because it is so essential to knowing where we're going and why Yahweh created us. It's, uh, it's just called Man. Uh, there is a volume uh, early on devoted to the covenant called family. And then from there, we, uh, we move into the, uh, the Adias series on uh, the Moed Mikre. 
we have just recently published the first two volumes of an introduction to God. It's the best place to start. Uh, if you're newly listening to this and you want to get to know Yahweh, uh, in volume one, we do a number of things which are really valuable for, uh, uh, for those of you who are just beginning to disassociate yourself from religion and politics and are desirous of knowing who the creator of the universe actually is, what he is offering, what he is asking from us in return. Uh, in volume one of An Introduction to God, we will walk you through the source material so you know uh, what the Mesoretic text is, what the oldest versions are, what they date to, uh, what the Dead Sea Scrolls are comprised of, when they were found, and what, uh, how they differ from the Masoretic text. Then we'll go through the, uh, the Hebrew language and explain its unique grammar uh, and its stems, its moods, its uh, conjunctions, um, how it is a relational language and a volitional language in which time is, uh, is like light, liberated, um, such that every verb is simply true throughout time in, uh, in Hebrew. We will even explain the characterization of each of the 22 letters so that you know how the original script for those letters actually defines the words themselves which are comprised of them. Um, but also in that volume one of an introduction to God, we do something that uh, is so essential to uh, Yehudim. Jews, and you are our target audience because you are Yahweh's target audience and we work for him. Uh, and that is we, we explain why you and why am I the person who is serving as a witness on your behalf uh, for Yahweh. Why you, why me? And me is really now an us. We have uh, well, Kirk uh, helping out on this uh, program and we have uh, a team of people that are fact checkers on what uh, is uh, in these volumes and editors of what is in these uh, volumes uh, and uh, a publisher who, um, who is exceedingly diligent in making this available to you in a timely fashion. Uh, and now uh, a, a group of, uh, of, of women that are devoted to the uh, distribution of this material is making people aware of it through through social media I, I think that the audience they invited today's program uh, is from uh, Southern California for example uh, and so we do have a group now as a team a family that is collectively witnessing on behalf of Yah and calling you home so that's what you'll find in uh, volume one along with then a, a very thorough presentation of what the Torah has to say about the Torah. Uh, and we continue uh, through that, and, and then we move into uh, to volume two, and we convey what the Proverbs and the Psalms have to say about the, uh, the, uh, the Torah. Uh, and now I'm in, uh, in volume three, uh, conveying the 19th Mizmor. We just finished it. I think there were six chapters devoted to the 119th Mizmor, 119th Psalm. Uh, it's going to be published uh, shortly. 
uh, although I'm now writing uh, about what uh, the prophets have to say about the uh, the Torah, because the Torah is, is Yahweh's teaching, his guidance. It is not law, it's instructions, it's directions from uh, Yahweh. And so those uh, three volumes would be the place to uh, to start and then read from the beginning through the uh, uh, the volumes on Yahweh's Moed Mikray. Uh, if uh, you're coming out of Christianity and need an explanation, a, a proof that there's nothing of value in the Christian New Testament, uh, or very little of value there, uh, reading Questioning Paul will certainly take you to that conclusion. It's no one who has ever read that book, uh, and it's now four volumes, uh, has remained a Christian. It, it uses God's words to uh, expose and condemn Paul's words. Uh, if you're coming out of Islam, uh, good for you. That's a tough religion to, uh, to leave because uh, good Muslims are ordered to kill uh, peaceful uh, Muslims or anyone who rejects their faith. Um, and for you, the, the book that best explains the, the hideous nature of Islam by using the Hadith to reorder the Quran chronologically and set it into the context of Muhammad's life is Prophet of Doom. So we really have you covered no matter where you're coming out of. And if you're coming out of rabbinic Judaism, uh, what you're going to find is the Introduction to God series followed by uh, Yada Yahweh uh, will do the best job, I think, of, uh, of getting you from, uh, from here to there. So uh, next week, uh, we are going to do something we very, 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 very seldom do. At least we'll begin with that. Uh, which is that in the Olivet Discourse, there was a corruption of, uh, of this passage we have just read uh, that uh, you know, reads that no one uh, knows the time and the hour. And what we're going to show is that uh, actually it was just a very bad translation of, uh, of Zechariah 14, where God says, this is the, uh, the exact day that uh, I will be returning. And so we'll go. We'll begin there, and then uh, conclude our presentation of Zachariah, and then um, uh, we'll transition uh, this program into the coverage of the Day of Reconciliation from the point of view of uh, of the last of the prophets, Malachi, mm-hmm. which means messenger. And after that, uh, Kirk, I I really would like to uh, to begin a, a series of programs. It could take years for us to finish it, but I'd like to start a series of programs where we go uh, um, to an introduction to God and uh, cover that as they were uh, rewritten and retranslated because uh, each day is is just such a wealth of opportunity and and knowledge and enlightenment. Right now, I'm in the, I think it's the eighth chapter of volume three of an introduction to God, which will be volume three will be the last volume of an introduction to God. And mm-hmm. I am uh, translating uh, uh, for probably the seventh or eighth time the first chapter of Yashaya. Uh, Yashaya means Yahweh liberates, he delivers, he saves. And it is an indictment on Judaism. And it is so clear why God despises Judaism. And don't uh, gloat if you happen to have come out of Christianity because uh, every, 
every part of the indictment against Judaism also um, condemns Christianity. Yeah. Um, and right. it is a yeah. powerful statement as to why God despises religion and particularly the corruption of days like this, turning um, Yom Kippurim from this spectacular day where Yahweh is known, where he can be approached by his people, where the relationship is reconciled. The day that Yahweh returns with Dode, David, to this planet, and the rabbis moronically, idiotically, have turned it into a day of, of uh, affliction and abasement and of denial. Now, they've denied can everything, including knowing Yahweh. Can I give you one thought on, on that, on yeah. Yom? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I've I never really paid much attention to it, but, you know, it's a Yod and a Wa and a mm-hmm. Yom. So yes. there's no way you could think of that as anything but Yahweh lifting, reaching down to lift up with an open hand to lift us up, to increase us, to increase our intellect, our soul, and the Mim is the water of cleansing life. Right. How can you turn that yeah. into a day of affliction? Yeah, yeah it's actually... Uh... The hand of Yah, who is our Heavenly Father, uh-huh. the yeah, Mem uh-huh. is, the, uh, is the cleansing and life-giving spiritual. nature of water. It's symbolic yeah. of the set-apart spirit. So it's our mm-hmm. Heavenly Father and spiritual mother with a, uh, a Wa in between, which means to mm-hmm. increase Family. and to secure. Yes. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a pretty good word. <laughs> what, a great way, what a great way to spell uh, day. Yeah, it's a wonderful word. So uh, Yom is a good thing. And, of course, Yom represents the time of of increasing uh, light where uh, we are enlightened and where we can more readily and easily read the the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms. So anyway, uh, that's it for our program uh, uh, this week. Look forward to being with you next week. If you were one of the new listeners from... Uh, from Southern California, welcome. I uh, grew up there. Uh, Kirk, you're up in the, uh, the, uh, the I lived there for 40 northern years, for part. Yeah, the northern years, part. Yeah. yeah, the People's yeah. Republic of, uh, of California. Of northern uh, we're California. Assuming that yeah. if you are a Yehudim, a Jew, listening to this program, uh, that you are uh, not uh, uh, ultra Orthodox, or you wouldn't dare. In fact, they wouldn't even allow you because they restrict your internet access. And that uh, you are not a progressive because you would be too stupid uh, to to even partake in anything like, <laughs> That's like this. So uh, we're going to assume that you're in that uh, middle ground. Uh, well, uh, I would I would not uh, count myself the brightest person uh, on earth. I mean, all you have to do is read the words of Moshe and Dode. And even the vocabulary of Yasha Yah, and you realize, okay, I'm not up to speed with them. Uh, so, uh, but, but progressiveness just destroys a person's ability uh, to, to, think. Uh, to think rationally, to make decisions that are evidence-based. Uh, it, is the, uh, it is the political dogma of make-believe. Uh, and mm-hmm. unfortunately for them, all of their make-believe opinions are the antithesis of what's true. So the reason they reject evidence and reason is because evidence and reason is wholly in conflict with their conclusion. It's one of the things I always would, uh, would, uh, would be fuddled me about Christianity is that uh, everything that God says is contrary to the religion. 
uh, all reason is contrary to the religion. Uh, and so why would you be, why would you put your faith in something that is obviously untrue? And when we begin questioning Paul by saying, I'm going to give you 20 things here. Any one of these 20 things individually proved that Christianity is wiped out. Yeah. You know, there was no Jesus. Uh, the, uh, this person that you're calling Jesus was not the Messiah. Therefore, he could not be the Christ. Therefore, there can be no Christian or Christianity. Uh, and oh, by the way, he wasn't the son of God. The son of God is Dode, and Dode is the Messiah. His name is David. Uh, and so you've got everything wrong. You know, God's name is Yahweh. The Lord is Satan's title. And by the way, you can't kill God. So this idea that God died for you, and now you parade around on, uh, with the symbol of a dead God on a stick, this is just not smart. Uh, no. So I just go through it and say, here's 20 statements, none of which you can uh, reason your way out of as a Christian. <clears throat> and you can present all that to them. And if somebody is devoutly religious, it's like water off a duff's back. They go, home and, they go home and pray for you. Yeah. Yeah. God's words do not affect a Christian. Uh, but the same yeah. thing is true with the progressive. You know, mm-hmm. A great example is that progressives are almost universally in favor of of supporting Black Lives Matter. But Black Lives Matter is a, is a conspiracy. It has uh, uh, no correlation with fact. You know, it's, you know, the reality is that if a black person is killed, 93% of the time it's by the hand of another black person. The, the problem isn't out there in blaming the white person. The problem is in the community of the black culture. The black culture is killing themselves each other yes and so uh th- this whole uh, crusade of black lives matter painting america as a racist nation it's actually the least racist nation and the most opportunistic nation in the history of humankind uh and i'm not a patriot so i'm not saying that for any other reason than it's just obvious and true That's just, but yeah. but none of that resonates with the progressive it's just like the uh the nation, the only nation uh, where, um, uh, where Jews and Muslims coexist with both Jews and Muslims having the right to vote, the right to health care, the right to, uh, uh, to education, uh, and can both be citizens, is in Israel. You know, and, and there isn't an uh, Islamic country where Jews have any rights. And yet... Uh, in Israel, Muslims can be full citizens. Uh, and so to call that country uh, an apartheid state is to be completely ignorant of reality. And then to say, well, you know, uh, the Muslims are, uh, are discriminated against. We, you have a tendency to discriminate against those people who are overtly trying Thanks. to kill you. Trying yeah. to kill you whose education of children is teaching them how to handle an AK-47 and teaching them to recite things, slogans that that specifically call for killing Jews. And oh, by the way, you can't speak of Jews occupying Palestine because there is no Palestine. There never was a Palestine. The last of the Philistines died 2,500 years ago. There hasn't been a Philistine since. 
So this notion that there is a Palestine and a so-called Palestinian is just completely ignorant and total disregard for evidence and reason. And yet the progressives manage to form opinions that have no correlation to that which is true. So the problem with Amnesty International as we close out this program is not Mm -hmm. uh, anti-Semitism, it's anti-intelligence. And with that, uh, I uh, would wish everyone listening that they would come to Yada Yahweh as, uh, as we have. He is wonderful. He is worth knowing. He is trustworthy and dependable. He is exceedingly kind and generous. He is delightfully fun to be around, totally emancipating and liberating um, and empowering and enriching. Every possible thing that you could ever want that has any lasting meaning in life, he is offering. And even the things that he is asking us for in return are all for our benefit. So, Kirk, uh, Shabbat Shalom. I uh, enjoy the rest shabbat of your shalom, uh, Shabbat. Yes. I enjoyed being with you this uh, this evening, and I thank all of those thank you. Me too. who are working uh, behind the scenes to make this uh, witness possible. Yes, Good I night. Do. Yes. Thanks. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.